What's up, everybody? Hello, welcome to the Hustling Sideways podcast. I'm Alan Hallis. I'm a music writer. And I'm Jim Love, and I'm a keynote and motivational speaker. And this is episode number 48? 48. We have to look at each other and make sure, but that's correct. Yes, Yes. we are... Coming up on a one, two, I keep saying one year, a two year anniversary. It's why I have like one year. year in my head, but it's like that's way longer than a year. It's two hey, years. Hey, I mean, you know what? <laughs> Pandemic years just kind of come that's and go. True. They just don't count. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, um, it, but it, it is uh, currently like two days after Christmas. Yep. I hope you all had an amazing holiday. Did you get everything you wanted? Uh, no, but I never do. Oh, um, yeah. I'm, I'm like kind of on like the crappy list. I think oh. they call it the naughty list. I, I suck a little. Like, I'm just, you know, I'm yeah. kind of a big bully. Okay. And, and I, yeah, I, I just, I, yeah. I just never. Yeah. The thing is, I don't ask. I should That's ask, a good point. Yeah. Ask, yeah. Make a point. But I have fun. I mean, I go home and I enjoy myself <laughs> and I have fun, but I'm not the type that's going to be waking up expecting <laughs> a lot of gifts from the big man because he's just not a big fan. So yeah. that's fine. I yeah. ate all the cookies. Every <laughs> year. That's the best part. That's my problem. That's yeah. my downfall. But it is great. It is relaxing. It is late December. I hope that you're all off of work. And I'm not off of your side hustle, though, am I right? Because that never ends. I was going to say, yeah, I'm actually probably <laughs> actively doing work on something Correct. while you're listening. Yeah. As we are, as, as we always do. But that's how entrepreneurs roll. That's that, yes. that's how we make it work. And um, But we're excited to be here. Uh, we, As you know, we'd like to introduce you all to our friends. We have a very special guest today. I'll describe how we met because I think it's really cool. I love I love networking. I talk about networking all the time. But we, we have a whole Brady. video on it. Yes, we do have a whole a whole thing on it. Yeah, yeah. We have uh, Brady Henderson is is our is our next guest. He's a civil rights lawyer, a lay minister, adjunct professor, and musician. So we're gonna dive into the majority of that. But Brady, I would say how we met is um, I love networking, and I was at a networking event in Mequon. Or my, as my mom calls calls it, Mequon. Shout out to my mom. I've heard it called Mequon as well. Yeah, yeah Mequon. And Mequon uh, is correct for those exactly for those wondering the Wisconsin Ooh. folks in the room. Uh, so um, I was there. It was it was a wonderful event, and um, I, I met a woman named Karina who was awesome, and she was telling me all about her husband that does all these great things. I was like, I have a podcast. I should talk to him. And lo and behold, Brady. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yes, you're welcome. And we're excited to have you. Um, You do a lot, number one. I mean, we usually have people who have like two things going on um, or like a thing and a half because they're not sure about what to do the next Mm -hmm. thing. But there's like four things. I mean, you... Like, do you have time for stuff? Or are you just, um, uh, no, <laughs> no, in I fact, don't. not at all. Yeah. I mean, that, that's kind time. of the, the problem. Um, <laughs> in fact, I'm also probably the closer thing to the house parent in our family. Sure. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, every family, we've got two small kids. Awesome. And any family with small kids, you know, somebody's kind of doing the school pickup. Somebody's kind of doing more of the afternoons. And we both do. We share it. Um, but I probably do at least half of it or, or a little more mm-hmm. too. And, and mm-hmm. with all that, no, there really isn't time. Um, one of the things I've, I've found for a long time is that I want to do a lot more things than I ever have time or mental energy to do. Right. You know, I'm, I'm yeah. finally into the, the, the forties and <laughs> it's amazing all the things I used to be able to do in terms of mental and physical energy when mm, I was totally. maybe 20, 25. And now I look back at that and just say, how did I ever actually do that? <laughs> I'm starting on that. I am it's very a, much in the it's same. starting to happen. Well, yeah. I will mm-hmm. say <laughs> it, it won't ago. get better. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's just going to get worse. Yeah. Oh, I know. I know. He knows. I, uh, two episodes ago, 
was like, Alan, we're approaching 50 as an episode. He goes, I know, I'm 32, I'm going to be 50. I'm like, dude, that's not <laughs> at all what I meant. So it was, it was, it was, yeah, taken very out of context. But I, I like the, the, the mental energy. I know time, I always make the joke. And we, every time is valuable, we use it in the way that's going to give us, you know, our energy. But the mental energy part is the important part. I mean, you have to, because I, I mean, having two children, a wife, a family, you have to dedicate so much to, to them and, and to being there. And then also all these things you do, and it's draining. Like, and I know some of the things Speaking give of. you energy, but it's also you have to balance that out and know what's going to work for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of, we should mention that you are a, a civil rights lawyer mm-hmm. by day, mm-hmm. uh, but you are also a. Oh, you did introduce all this. Yeah, oh, I man. said it all. We're recording <laughs> yeah. on a Friday. I'm very sorry. <laughs> what? What the hell is going on over there? Never mind. <laughs> you're good. I totally missed that part. I'm no, just you're good. Here. Uh, this worry. is so we were talking about mental energy. Uh-huh. Yes, this is, exactly. this is what happens. Here. Demonstrating. I, I swear I didn't you know, mean to yeah. actually bring yeah. that in, but yes, we're good. We I was go. like, where is he going with this? Yeah. <laughs> No, that's good. Um, but that that brings me to ask, uh, how did you kind of get your start, you know, in that field and, and pursuing law? Was that, I don't know if that's something that people grow up and say, and it, but, you know, was that something that, when did that start for you? Yeah, I mean, some do. You know, there are mm-hmm. people who grow up in law. You know, maybe mm. that a parent who is a lawyer or they just know that's what I want to do. I, I was not one of those, though, really, to, to mm. be perfectly honest. Um, when I was a kid... I was the smart, nerdy kid, basically. You know, I didn't do sports. I did academic things and music. I was I was that kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because of that, you know, you, you have certain things. And for me in the 80s and 90s growing up, I was a Stephen Hawking fan. You okay. know, Carl Sagan. So I was Love all that. about, I'm going to go be an astrophysicist or I'm going to be a nuclear engineer. You know, I was all about sure. the science. And I'm still a science nerd. Um, I technically speaking, I invented the nuclear powered coffee maker. Whoa. Um, the reason no one really knows that outside of people close to me is that no one's yet been interested in building and or buying a nuclear powered (laughs) coffee maker. Very true. So this is one of those products that exists on paper. Um, but if you ever needed something to produce about 10,000 gallons of coffee per hour, um, with no carbon footprint, this would do it for you. Oh my okay, gosh. so so just I actually, I mean, I drink a lot of coffee, and I've never tried coffee, so I'm like on the other. I, oh I just don't. I know I'm I am very weird. Trust I'm me. at a coffee shop just about every morning, so yeah. I will tell you, I uh, I might be in the market. Okay, so I'm so it, <laughs> yeah. you know I Nuclear I'm into power, you say. <laughs> I'm into these nerdy thought experiments, That's right? Awesome. Um, and I won't go into it, all that, but but just note: nuclear reactors heat water. What does your coffee maker do? It yeah. heats water. Mm. Why not okay. cut out all the stuff in between? Um, okay. That feels like that just clicked in like one day in your head of like, exactly. Why not? It's, Why do we need all these electric power lines and 100%. stuff? 100%. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, I was the, the science nerd, right? That's awesome. Um, and really what happened about high school is that I had an interesting combination of things. And... Um, I guess now I can say it. I don't know where some of these people are that may be bad-mouthed by it. Um, I had some really bad math teachers and okay. a couple of really bad science teachers, also a couple of really good ones. Um, yeah. And so I started just hating doing more advanced math mm-hmm. and some of what's necessary for engineering. And at the same time, I had some incredibly awesome civics and social studies teachers, just some amazing people. Mm-hmm. And they just instilled a love of civics of kind of civic participation of democracy mm-hmm. of the constitution sure. in me. And that carried through to college. So I, I ended up doing letters and political science and knowing I'm probably going to go to law school. This right. is probably what I want to do is, is some kind of constitutional mm-hmm. law. 
but even in college, I, I was the weird side hustle guy. I yeah. mean, I, I never pared down well, you know, I played in the orchestra, mm-hmm. I sang in the advanced choir, I did classics and letters stuff, you know, wow. at the same time I'm doing political science. Um, I never chose well mm-hmm. on, on what to do. It was just sort of, I'm going to do everything. Just um, the constantly over-involved students. Like. <laughs> absolutely. But it, but it's amazing the experiences it gives oh, 100%, you. So yeah. I spent a summer doing an archaeological dig in Israel in the oh middle of college. Wow. It's is that amazing. a suburb of Chicago or is that? Yeah, as, as, as most Marquette <laughs> right, right. Uh-huh. Israel, that's, that's famously like, a suburb yeah. of Yeah, I think Chicago. you're talking about Skokie, actually, <laughs> yeah. or the Evanston area. Yes. Um, An archaeological dig in Skokie, though. That, that would actually be kind of cool. Yeah, it really would. So. Um, but, but no, it's, it's true. I spent a summer there digging at a place called Caesarea, this amazing ancient harbor, kind of wonder of the ancient world on the Mediterranean coast. Wow. And it's all these weird kind of things that, that caused it to happen. But I just, I loved getting to know people who did different things than me mm-hmm. and just learning what they did and really getting into it. And so I did stuff like that at the same time I was doing pre-law. Okay. Um, you know, experiences like that tend to be largely useless in terms of career, but <laughs> um, incredibly enriching. I mean, yeah, it, yeah. It, for, for, you know, being there about eight weeks in that particular dig, it's amazing how often I think about something from it. Yeah. You know, it's absolutely amazing. And now doing some ministry work that really comes out because we did so many things that had to do with Jewish and Christian sites and Mm -hmm. early faith and that kind of thing too. So, you know, to go back to the original question, and I'm sorry, I'm digressing. Oh, no, this is what happens with the side hustle. This is how thing. we do podcasts. Yeah, Don't exactly. worry. Exactly. You know, yeah. digress the hell out so, of it. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I knew I wanted to do law. Mm-hmm. I did end up going to law school. So I grew up in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I went to the University of Oklahoma for both undergrad and law school. Um, and I got a wonderful scholarship deal as part of why I stayed there. Mm-hmm. They were really aggressively recruiting uh, national merit scholars at the time. Okay. And I was fortunate enough to become one. And there, there was a university president, David Boren, who's a former U.S. senator, and that just became his thing of what he wanted to do at OU is have the most national merit scholars. Oh. Like, all right. And what Works. it meant for me yeah. um, was twofold. One, I got a boatload of money <laughs> that yeah, meant that I helps. could get out of school without, without debt, yeah. you know, and or without my parents having to just, you know, mortgage houses for yeah. it or anything. And then the other thing it meant was amazing people there with me from all over the country mm-hmm. who had come for similar reasons. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm still good friends with a, he's now a professor at Texas Tech in their meteorology and climatology department who came from Madison, Wisconsin mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. meteorology. Cause it's one of the things you come to Oklahoma for, if you want to study storms, huh. <laughs> you know, that's storms the place makes, you do it. Yeah. Actually that's that makes true. a lot of sense. Now that I think about yeah. it, yeah. not just sooner football. Yeah. Exactly. A lot more than that. Well, and especially when like this year, when the sooner football kind of sucks, right. like then you need to go study <laughs> storms that. more, yeah. you yeah. know, yeah. you get more interested in these other, I other think things. It's, you know, it's interesting, you know, the, the, the Israel dig and, you know, some of those experiences I found like, so I, I did a lot of mission trips in college mm-hmm. and I went to new Orleans at of times and I've, I've talked about this before but the things i learned there and like the experience i had i had to lead groups and you know was doing it on two hours of sleep but you know sleeping on, on church floors you, those those things i learned in those moments taught me more about my career and situations than any class ever taught me without yeah. question because into your point 
you look back at those things of like, what did I do? It was leadership moments. It was times where I had to make yeah. a decision. And like, granted, I, I mean, education's wonderful. I want to make sure everyone's clear on that. Like, go go to college, you know, get educated, whatever <laughs> it might be. But but my my informal education, doing extracurriculars and things I was interested in, were, were those things where I met people that taught me lessons where I realized, and I did, I made mistakes. And I was like, don't do that again. And that, right. that was so pivotal. And it sounds like you probably had moments like that where you look back now of like, yeah, that made a lot of sense. And that started, that started maybe making maybe your ministry path a little bit more clear the areas you want to really focus on you know the the ministry path in a lot of ways really came later but i think the Mm -hmm. experiences that set it up absolutely were part of that like i would say i didn't just have moments of feeling like the extracurricular things or things like the dig were were special in college when i look back on it that's most of what i remember are those things you know if you ask me brady what did you do in such and such class Half the time, I have to look at it and say, I don't remember a darn thing right. from the actual curriculum of this class. Yeah. In fact, um, I've started teaching at Marquette you know, this last fall as an adjunct professor there. And one of the things I had to do in the process of, of that happening was get them some information that included my old academic transcripts. Oh, hmm. And it was funny how I'm looking at these for the first time. I've probably looked at them in 15 years. <laughs> yeah. And so I literally see courses where I say, what was that? Like, oh, yeah, I really, totally. I don't remember I'm the same what this way, was. And you know? we've only been out of college for like 10 years yeah. now. And yeah. I'm like, no idea. If I had yeah. to go back and, and look at specific classes, I would not be able to yeah. tell you what I learned in them. Yeah. Um, I remember even walking out of college like the day after I graduated and thinking, I know nothing. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like yeah. I, I was highly yeah. inebriated, which probably didn't <laughs> well, help. But yeah, it was it was <laughs> that didn't help. <laughs> right. It didn't help when I said it or when I was actually yes, in college. Right. No. But it's uh, true. Like you know, you know, you you remember the the special moments. You don't remember like oh, yeah. the, the 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 Tuesday nine a.m. class. You you remember. No. The conversation you have with a friend, or you know, or going on a trip that was meaningful, like that's that's what sticks with you. And I always tell students that now when I speak to them, I'm like, you're you're not going to remember again. Education's important, like to be clear, yes. but, but you <laughs> won't remember those. Like, do the things, get get good grades, but 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 go way outside your comfort zone in moments that you wouldn't mm-hmm. anticipate, and that's when you're going to learn and you'll grow too. Of course, I know that sounds cliche, but a lot of people don't take that seriously. And like, well, I mean, it's that's true. That's it. It's, it's, it's like true. Yeah. And one of the things is, I work some, you know, with with students now. I I get really concerned just how much everything is going online mm-hmm. for that reason. Yeah. Like, like yeah. online is great in that it democratizes a lot of education that mm-hmm. was hard to, I mean, for folks who are in difficult life situations with small kids, things like that with limited resources, or they're kind of stuck to a particular place with a, a job, mm-hmm. you know, the, the quote unquote traditional means of college, like I did doesn't work, you know? Right. So a lot of things in terms of more online degree programs, you know, they open up, great college experiences academically to more people. They, they increase mm-hmm. the equity. So I'm not criticizing their existence, mm-hmm. but I also really try to tell students, Hey guys, whenever you can live in the dorms, be mm-hmm. here, do yeah. things in person, yeah. interact with these other students, because that's the stuff you're really going to remember that's going to change you and make you sort of this broader, deeper person yeah. years down exactly. the road. Yeah. It's not going to be what, is on a PowerPoint, you know, in um, a lecture hall. Yeah, and yeah. I know you went to Oklahoma, but you very you sound Jesuit educated with that, with with, with, with <laughs> the way that you presented that. It's very very true. Yes. And yeah, I was very much like a. Um, so I, I went to school for digital media, and mm-hmm. so we shot videos. We were out out, out mm-hmm. shooting and going around places. I can tell you more about the projects that we did, like going out and being in the I field bet. and yep. shooting, as opposed to what I learned in an actual classroom. Oh, wow. Um, and I'm also a big believer that everything ties together. 
and that you know like i i did a lot of stuff you know freelance outside of school and so i remember like we've talked about mm-hmm. on the show before about like you know, crazy shoots that I had to go do where I was at the airport yeah, the or where I was at, <laughs> yeah, where I was at the airport or I was at a wedding or I was at something like I remember learning things there more than I think I learned in the classroom. So yeah, that out, no outside of the experience, but I can only imagine, you know, going to, you know, another part of the world yeah. and going to experience that, the amount of things that now ties into what you're doing and mm-hmm. would, you know, yeah. both in your profession and on the side as well. Yeah. Well, so much of it to me is about just interacting with people you never anticipated interacting with people mm-hmm. who just have such different perspectives. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've always loved about travel, but yeah, also right. about a lot of things in education is just being around people that have a different point of view, a different upbringing, and it makes all the difference in the world, mm-hmm, you know, yeah. especially when, like me, you're this kid from Oklahoma who, you know, grew up in a small to mid-sized town, you know, middle class, just kind of your average white middle American family mm-hmm. where yeah. it's easy to miss a lot of what's going on in the world mm-hmm. because of that. And just to kind of have this sort of sheltered, narrow view of things. And it makes all the difference in the world to just encounter stuff you never thought you'd encounter. And that, that happened in law school for me. You know, mm-hmm. when I, when I finally did get to law school after you know, my two, two undergrad degrees, um, I say finally, it's, I still did it in four years. It just <laughs> right. feels like longer now, right. I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, but, but as I, I knew I was heading that direction. So after my first year, just kind of on some advice with some people uh, I knew who I respected, they said, try to go do a volunteer internship at the local DA's office. They've got this great program there, Norman. You know, there's there's a couple of great people running it. And I thought that would be kind of interesting. I might do that versus try to kind of do traditional civil firm thing. Right. And that completely changed my life because yeah. it was interacting with stuff I just had never been part of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, my, my mother had a really great line at one point later when I ended up becoming an assistant DA. <laughs> and yeah. that was actually my, where I started in law really was going into criminal. And, you know, my, my mother said something about, um, I can't quite do it justice, but it was something to the effect of, yeah, your dad and I worked so hard so you wouldn't have to be around people like that, you know, was sort of, <laughs> yes, was kind of her thing, yeah, right? Yeah, you know, right. it was like, so Helping. you wouldn't have to be around a bunch of like criminals and stuff. Um, okay. You know, I get it. <laughs> um, but it, it's the truth, yeah. you know, it, it yeah. gave such a different perspective on, on life and in terms of how things can change so much for a person. When I went to law school, I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted my career to look like. I knew I loved constitutional law and government, but that's a pretty broad thing mm-hmm. that doesn't tell you this is what I want to do. Right. But I would tell everybody at that time, there are two types of law I absolutely know I don't want to do. Criminal law and family law. Yeah. Within six months of becoming a lawyer, I uh, took over the domestic violence docket so, yeah, <laughs> at the so DA's yeah. office doing exactly criminal law and family law yeah. and, <laughs> and loving it. Works. Right, right, and it was an yeah. incredible experience. I did it for years, um, you know, became good at it, became, you know, gained expertise and really got so much out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was never the kind of thing I would have anticipated right. ever. So now did you progress then obviously to civil rights, um, was there any kind of moment that shifted that where where you were like, you know, I mean, coming out of like domestic law and things like that, is there, a, you know, one kind of indicator that was like, okay, I'm going to pursue civil rights now? One of the biggest, I, I mean, I had never given up that interest and I, and mm-hmm. I was always, 
um, still doing things kind of on the margins of it. So all through my time at the DA's office, I was still helping to coordinate um, a civics, actually a couple of different civics programs in Oklahoma, mm-hmm. one called We the People, Constitution of the Citizen, another called Project Citizen, which were all about civic engagement and teaching civil rights, kind of literacy to, to often high school students mm-hmm. and right. sometimes middle schoolers. Wonderful programs. And I was I was always active in those all through it. So I never totally left it. But the the interesting thing, I think, is that there were particular experiences that finally drove me out of my assistant DA job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the, the kind of key one was we had had a change in the elected DA. Mm-hmm. Um, I was somebody who did not get let go in the clean house. They're like, yeah, no, we like you. We know you're really good. <laughs> Things were kind of okay for a few years with the new DA, but um, this kind of gets into some weird Oklahoma stuff, but basically Cleveland County where I was, was like Norman where OU is mm-hmm. all this stuff sort of South of Oklahoma city. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma County is like Oklahoma city and kind of the main Metro. Um, there are huge cultural differences in the courthouses of those two places to this day. And there was a man who had been DA in Oklahoma County for a long time called cowboy Bob Macy. That sounds very Oklahoma. (laughs) And he did a string, had a string tie (laughs) and he was basically famous for, for three things. Um, one was the string tie the second was he liked to actually carry a gun in court mm-hmm. and occasionally brandished it at people. Oh my goodness. No okay. joke. Um, you, you talk about privilege and yeah, because the, the other, the third thing he was famous for was sending, basically sending black people to the death chamber. Oh that was what wow. he decided his purpose in life was. And the elected DA who came in to Cleveland County had been in his office. Mm-hmm. Wasn't, a cowboy Bob figure himself. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, it's, it, it's hard to be, but it, still, you know, yeah, I'm great, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, getting be, a yeah. string tie alone these days right, is right. really <laughs> tough. Um, but he kind of carried that culture and that mm-hmm. culture is one that unfortunately, even to this day, it's things like, Oh, you, you don't really have the witness testimony. You need to prove your case. Well, just maybe threaten somebody with something until they tell you what you want to hear and are willing to testify to it. Right. Oh, that's not the truth. Well, who cares? We're always right. But you said it. So yeah, Yeah. you got, you basically got pushed in that direction. So, so lots of unethical stuff, witness tampering, all kinds of things. And I got to the point where I, was just kind of saying, Hey Greg, I can't keep doing this, man. Mm -hmm. I can't be part of this. It's reflecting on me. I can't just kind of let it continue to happen from people around me. Yeah. Luckily, um, when you're a domestic violence prosecutor, most places, nobody wants your job. So it's easy to kind of do what you want if you're good at it. And I was, I literally won awards and went and taught places and things like that. So they left me alone. Like they didn't try to make me do really bad things. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but enough of it was going on around that it, you know, it really got to the point where I just said, I can't keep silent about it, though. Mm-hmm. And so I finally said to this elected DA, OK, either this stuff's got to stop or I, I've got to leave. I can't just be silent. Yeah. And he finally said, OK, then you got to leave. This yeah, is course. how we're going to do things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's an experience that still pervades me to this day. Yeah. Um, you know, prosecution is inherently an honorable and good profession mm. kind of like policing is in a way, mm-hmm. but in the same way as policing or in law enforcement, generally it can also attract people who 
are basically sociopaths mm-hmm. who yeah. really like to abuse power, who go into that precisely because it's a way to hurt people without be going to prison mm-hmm. right. and sometimes to kill people without going to prison. So unfortunately it does attract that. And in places particularly where you have a populace that's easily manipulated to going along with it, mm-hmm. kind of tough on crime jurisdictions, mm-hmm. um, it can it's go like on for years storm. and years yeah. and years. Yeah. It's a perfect yeah. storm. And so that's what really drove me not just out of prosecution, but I think into civil rights, mm-hmm. you know, was seeing what was happening to people and just saying, Hey, wait a minute, this is, this is not okay. That's a powerful yeah. Experience. And that had to be tough to be now on the other side and being, you know, standing up for the guy that probably doesn't have the resources, doesn't have mm-hmm. the whatever, you know, is probably expecting to get the DA that doesn't care about them, right. you know, or the, mm-hmm. the, you know, criminally appointed DA that really couldn't care less if they go to jail or not or worse. Right. Know? Or worse. Mm-hmm. And, and it, there's, you know, and this is true in the civil court world too, but it, particularly in criminal justice, there's a great deal of cynicism because anyone who's been in it very long knows some things like, okay, most people are guilty in mm-hmm. the system. So it's easy to just feel like, well, yeah, of course that dude's guilty. Yeah. Um, without really necessarily being open to say, yeah, but wait a minute. What if this is that one case out of several where he's actually not right. Right. Yeah. But you get yeah. so jaded because yeah. they're just, there's so much nonsense. It almost it. feels like a rinse and repeat. Like, Oh, here's another Absolutely. one. Like, here you go. Here's another one. Like, yeah, yeah that's, like and it, it can be easy to get caught up in the monotony almost of feeling like that you're way. going through the motions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. even that happens to judges. Right. I'm sure it does. Because I'm it's sure just it hundreds, yeah. thousands of cases. I mean, I did, um, by the time I left, Cleveland County, I think I was doing something like 400 cases a year, approximately. And these were cases where, you know, there was a husband like strangling somebody. I mean, these were serious things. Mm -hmm. The, The joke commonly about my job was I was running, quote, the homicide prevention docket. Yeah. And the whole point of it was basically let's try to stop things or do something so nobody kills the other person. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was essentially the the measure of my job performance mm-hmm. was are people getting killed <laughs> or am I doing the right things to step in and make them not get killed? No pressure. No pressure. Yeah, no zero. pressure. Exactly. No pressure. <laughs> and that's true in most parts of the country and yet the people who often are assigned to those jobs are were like me, very young DA, very young assistant DAs, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. folks who are kind of wide-eyed, you know, yeah. I, when I look back at how little I knew, <laughs> like, Ooh, wow. It's amazing. I didn't get anybody killed and I didn't for, <laughs> right. for five years. Well, there you, um, go. you know, I didn't lose anybody. So that yeah. was my measure of good job performance. By those standards. <laughs> now I, I feel like I don't have to ask, but when does ministry come yeah, in? There's, there's like <laughs> because pretty, I feel like this actually <laughs> now ties, you know, hearing yeah. your story, this, definitely seems like a point where you would say it is time to maybe <laughs> follow, follow, that, follow path. that path. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's well, it, my, my history with ministry is, is strange. It's convoluted. Mm-hmm. Um, in that when I was growing up, I guess our family is what are sometimes referred to as C and E Christians for okay. Christmas and Easter. Yeah, the yeah, idea yeah. that, well, okay, we, we sort I mean. of, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we we're Christians, but we don't really do it every week. We're mm-hmm. Christians sometimes. Um, which is how a lot of people are. It's, mm-hmm. it's a very common, common thing. And so I actually spent years really rejecting a lot of it, not necessarily ever becoming, I think, a full atheist. Mm-hmm. I think I mm-hmm. always believed in God in some fashion, but I, I didn't always like him. I wasn't always happy about this notion of mm-hmm. there's somebody else in control mm-hmm. because I just frankly saw so much awful stuff in the world 
that drove yeah. me nuts. Um, yeah, and I'm sure with your background, you know, being where you were, right, seeing the things go on that you saw go on. Yes, mm-hmm. well, and, and one of the things that happened too. So growing up in in Oklahoma, you know, unlike growing up here in Wisconsin, there is this huge bent of really awful kind of right-wing co-option of Christianity yeah. that mm-hmm. means for most people growing up, if, if you want to be a thinking progressive Christian, you got to get past all of these folks who use Christianity basically as, as a means for, for hate and abuse yeah. mm-hmm. and that kind of thing and have no problem doing that for their whole lives. And yeah. so it, it's this journey that you have to make back and say, no, that's not what it means mm-hmm. you know, to be in church. That doesn't have to be what it means. Um, to be a Christian, Mm -hmm. you know, to be a person of faith. So I had this convoluted history for a lot of years. And when I finally really got it and started becoming a Christian, wasn't until really about the end of college Mm -hmm. where I look back and say, no, this is really when I understood what the heck this was all about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was this peace of God in my life, Mm -hmm. you know, this, this feeling of actual personal connection so it was a few years later, about, I think roughly about 14 years ago that I first got what they often call the call to ministry, mm-hmm. you know, right. and, and it's a phrase everybody uses, but it's always really hard to explain to anybody. Well, what did it, what do you mean you were called? You know, what, what, did, what was that? Yeah, like, well, it's kind of hard to yeah. Yeah. I would say people envision like this beam of light comes yeah. down and yeah. all of a sudden the you're, sky's open, right? you're exactly. one minute you're shopping at the mall and the next thing you're, you're mm. in robes preaching. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and I wish it were, you know, right. I would, it, it, it would be so fun <laughs> if at some point in my life I was like John Belushi and blues brothers yeah. and I'm listening to James Brown, you know, give a, yeah. a sermon yeah. and then the light comes in. Yeah. I see the light. Um, <laughs> man, I wish that that were, were true. Um, but in reality, it's, it's so much more subtle. Yeah. I mean that, and that's something I've found about faith generally, mm-hmm. you know, in my own faith journey is in so many ways, so many things about faith, about God are so much more subtle than we want to give them credit no for doubt. so yeah. much more nuanced than we want to. Um, so I can tell you the day, I received the call, but I could tell you exactly where I was, where I was looking, what, you know, I actually was in a Lutheran church mm-hmm. in Oklahoma city okay. when it happened. And the strange thing about it was it was basically a voicing you're supposed to do this. Um, and the weird thing about it is I was actually sitting through a really bad service <laughs> by a pastor who really wasn't doing a good job yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah. And I was, um, kind of griping about it in my head. Yeah. And that's when it came to me. Well, you're supposed to do this. You know what? Yeah. <laughs> it's, cool. it's the reason I, this, this yeah. sucks is cause like I could do, I could do this. Yeah. yeah. And, and it was like, well, this. I could do better. Yeah, yeah. you could. We've so go do that before you know, where, yeah. you know, oftentimes it's how kind of some of the best stuff happens. It really when is. You see yeah. something bad. Like this sucks. I could do this way better. Like, yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> We've seen this a few times with people and I think I'm a little guilty of it too. Yeah. Of saying, yeah. Hey, this could be better. I could do this. Mm-hmm. And so it's powerful. Like when you feel a connection, to it you're like i can make this better and it should be meaningful like that a sermon should be meaningful people should grab something from it if they're not like wait something's wrong i can yeah, yeah like, exactly that's it yeah something's so you, wrong so i'm guessing you take that approach to mm-hmm. you know when you're when you're you know doing ministry and things like that is to be engaging and to make sure that you know you're connecting with somebody i think exactly mm-hmm. well and so much of that you know my experience is about connecting to their experiences yeah. Um, and, and in fact, that's a trend I think generally we're seeing in ministry and, and churches right now 
is away from the the old way of doing things that was so prevalent through like the 1950s was the idea of, of clergy being people who were set apart from everybody else. They mm-hmm. were different. Um, they just weren't doing the same things in their life. And of course, back to things like the Jesuit or Catholic tradition, there are really huge lines there. Right. Like, yeah. nope, you're not going to have a family. Nope, you're not going to ever father a child, mm-hmm. at least you're not supposed to. Yeah. Um, you know, you have these things that were really bright lines. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that, of course, even though it can be good in some ways from a theological perspective, you say, okay, you're making sure somebody's devoted to God, that that's the center of their life, fine and good. But most of the members of their churches aren't like that. They live normal, right, yeah. real, secular right. lives right. day to day. And what they really need is somebody who can actually help them through that. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's what it is. It's how yeah. do you connect these ideas you have about God or faith or hope or peace or any of these kinds of things or forgiveness. How do you connect them into real life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's always the struggle. And yeah, so yeah. for that, you kind of do need people who live real lives. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Normal I lives. I was going to yeah. say, I, I, not to get too <laughs> deep on it, but I think that there's that element of like, that might have been great in biblical times to yeah. be a person that lived a straight and narrow one, this is your track life. Yeah. But I think, you know, people are more com- complex than that now. And yeah. that's where you know, something like where right? you come in, yeah. where you have, like you said, you live a real life, you do real yeah. you know, things and you're more than just, I have to live this one path. Yeah. Like, like it is exactly. always funny to me, like how marriage ministry is with like a priest and it's like, I don't, I don't know how that's, you know, like interesting, you know, like, yeah. okay, you know, I mean like, it, like, and I know there's like some married couples that do it, but generally that was always just like an oxymoron to me. And, and as someone who's, who's gone mm-hmm. through it and benefited from it but it's like that's you know i like i'm surprised that father patrick knows you know about about marriage like that's just like yeah. a funny thing and you but you know but like, yeah, to have that real life example and i'm sure you connect with people so easily like that of like i've been there done that got the t-shirt i have kids i you know i have a family i know i get it like i know what you're going through and you're able to, to really find an intimate connection absolutely yeah. and that's that's what that's what ministry is really all about mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it's also, I think where the, the skills or maybe not skills is the right word where my experiences from things like law, civics, even doing domestic violence mm-hmm. dockets, um, make a difference because you're, you're dealing with people at incredibly difficult points in their lives. Mm-hmm. You're dealing yeah. with really difficult conflicts, maybe yeah. between laws or between the law and what's sort of expedient or easy mm-hmm. for somebody. Um, and that's so much of what organized faith is, mm-hmm. you know, any, yeah. any of us can just say, I'm just going to go read the Bible or the Quran or the Talmud, whatever my mm-hmm. you know particular choices. And I can just go do that. But when you're talking about people coming together mm-hmm. in, in a sense of faith, yeah. it's really about dealing with sort of the conflicts and the disagreements and the places where things don't seem to line up mm-hmm. neatly and easily and cleanly and saying, how do we, we deal with that? Yeah, Exactly. And that's how law is. That's right. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it is. I was going to say, is there any tie? I mean, you know, you famously hear church and state. Yeah. But right. I mean, yeah. does that sort of tie into kind of your work too, where you kind of feel it bleed in? I would imagine so in the sense of like, just in general, wanting the best for someone, especially somebody that has fallen on some hard mm-hmm. times and may or may not have made the best decisions because of that, you know? Right. And both, you know, both if sort of done right, um, are about trying to to make positive changes mm-hmm. in ways and and often about trying to rebalance power structures that are out of balance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's something that is is both a feature of civil rights law and of Christian ministry that go mm-hmm. hand in hand. In civil rights law, you're always fighting the David versus Goliath right, battle. You're right. always coming in 
fighting for somebody who was victimized because they were vulnerable to it right. because somebody else had more power and they were fine using it yeah. you know, to hurt this person. Mm-hmm. Usually somebody in government, but not always. Um, and similarly, I, I think when you're dealing with ministry, it's kind of the same thing in a way, you know, you're always kind of dealing with somebody who is usually searching for something more mm-hmm. in their life. Yeah. Um, and, and this is true of me when, when I think about what it means to be a minister, I often think of my own experience and just the searching that I'm always going through. Yeah. Um, And and the way I look at it, and I hit on this years ago, is the idea that I'm never going to have all the answers and I'm never going to stop looking for them. I I will be changing my mind about things. I'll be considering new information the day I die, Mm -hmm. you know, and that that's normal and okay. And that's kind of the opposite of, of the very conservative approaches you see to either law or Christianity yeah, that yeah, I grew right, up with. Right. Hey, look, it was this way. It's always <laughs> this, is how this it way is. forever. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. That's um, cool. And I have to imagine now, um, just to like go into the Marquette professor yeah. part too, that like the connection with students probably has some type of the same, you know, like you understand what they're going through. You've been there. You're, you're, you're working with them. And, and like, have you, like, I know you've been there for a semester, but did you find yourself having conversations that were, you know, like more than just like what page do I have to read today? Mm-hmm. Like finding out more about their lives or just, you know, just generally what's going on on campus. Like that, there had to be a part of that that was cool to connect to. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and, and particularly because most of the students I've been working with this semester are essentially criminal justice students in mm-hmm. either upper end of undergrad or in this graduate program that Marquette has that's incredibly cool. It's a specific master's program in law enforcement data analytics, which is this huge new field, relatively new field in law enforcement. um, That can kind of be used for good or for evil. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, there's Um, ways yeah, data can, plays on everyone's team. Kind so of so teaching yeah. an ethics yeah. course to these folks is really interesting yeah, because you know, you're looking at the same technology that can be used to help police better respond to violence or prevent it is also technology that can snoop on people in really mm-hmm. freakish ways. Yeah. yeah right. and, and how much of it is going on even in our community. So, so one of the little known things here in Milwaukee that I had no idea existed until I was teaching this course and doing research, you know, as, as I was preparing it, um, did you, and I'm, I'm assuming, I want to see if either of you guys know, if yeah. listeners know, um, if I go fire off a gun somewhere in Milwaukee, did you know there is actually a network of microphones listening for it all the time? I actually did know that. You Shot, did? Okay. Shot spotter, right? Day. Yep. It's yeah. called, yeah. Yep. There is, a, and this is true in a lot of cities where they now do networks of essentially sound monitoring to triangulate the positions mm-hmm. of things like gunfire. Wow. Which is actually pretty darn smart yeah. if you think oh, no about doubt. it, because yeah. it's easy to do. You have the crack of a gun, and yeah. if you've got different stations, boom, a computer can say, well, it's roughly within this block area. But at the same time, I mean, it it sure produces some strange privacy considerations right. when you think yeah. about I, I the I want a preference. I only know, <laughs> you know? this because um, I used to work at a fireworks store in college. Oh, and so yeah. Yeah. naturally, yeah. you know, we would hear about like, yeah, in Milwaukee, it's hard, but because people can actually hear when your fireworks <laughs> go off because they're shot spotter. Right. That's the only reason I know. And yeah. I also am part of the uh, Bayview Town Hall Facebook group, which oh, anytime they hear fireworks, 
they think that it's everyone uh, thinks it's going to somebody yeah, would yeah. say like inevitably oh. on, on july 3rd what's yes. going on out there yeah there's, uh-huh. they always think that there's gunfire <laughs> on july 3rd and 4th right which, which probably yeah. means as a practical matter if, if you're gonna try to do something bad with a gun in milwaukee i assume that means you probably ought to do it on the third or fourth of july right. yeah. just just as a practical matter <laughs> yeah. you we know i'm not suggesting yeah um, it was great to have you uh-huh. on the show. <laughs> it's, it, it, i always do the disclaimer in, in fact with with my my students this fall because it was an ethics course, you know, ethics yeah. and criminal justice. Yeah. Um, you know, of course we have to go through things like academic integrity, mm-hmm. don't cheat. But, but I did actually have to confess. I said, guys, don't cheat, please. But if you're going to, <laughs> I do appreciate the irony of you doing it in an ethics yes. class. That's actually a really like, good way I to do, say it. I right. do kind of respect yeah. that. That's like, not if, lost like, on like you. don't like, do it. But if if you will. Um, you know, the, times. Yeah. It was kind of like the advice, too. I, I gave them at one point from my experience with, with dealing with drug interdiction as a prosecutor mm-hmm. and saying, okay, you wouldn't believe how often it is that people have weed in their center consoles. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, that's where they keep it. I'm not a weed guy. I don't know why. Maybe they do. <laughs> yeah. You know, ask somebody who uses it. But cops know to look there. So, guys, if you're going to, like, take drugs in your car, um, don't put them in the center console. Yeah, that's not the you know, apparently, yes. that's not yeah. a good idea. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, I do often do those kind of disclaimed things. I'm not telling you to do this bad thing, yeah. but if you're gonna, apparently this is the best I'm way to do it. I'm just going to approach it logically as yes. well. Yes, yeah, exactly. I, which, which I can appreciate that, the academic st- part of that, of this is, this is the way you, you know, exactly. if I were to do it, this is how I would approach it. I understand. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Um, this has been really awesome. Yeah. I think that there's, if I'm tying anything together from all of this, it seems like, like you are a person that just wants the best for people. Um, and, and wants to educate people on that or help the person that is down. And that mm-hmm. seems like um, you've really been able to take your worldview and your life experiences and tie them all together in ways that maybe we all don't even think. Yeah. About I happens, think there's you know? a very clear linear sort of connection with all the experiences you've had that have gotten you to what you're doing yeah. now. And I think that's really cool. And that doesn't always happen. We sort of have people that are like, I do that. And I also just do this. We're like, that's really cool. And yeah, like this, unrelated. Those, those yeah. paths t- kind of, you know, as I'm going up and they've, they've connected, which is great. And I think that makes a lot of sense. And why, why you're good at what you're doing right now is because of those scenarios you put yourself into. Yeah. So that's really cool. Well, I'm not necessarily saying I'm good at what I'm doing. I'm getting better at it you know that, no, that's what i always go. what yeah. i always try to to say to folks is it's not about saying oh yeah i know exactly what i'm doing yeah. it's about thinking every time how can i do it you mm-hmm. know a little bit better or mm-hmm. what can i learn from yeah um, i mean in in law this has been true for my whole career when you do something stupid when you lose when you mess up those are the things that actually stick with you yeah. where you think right. through what do i do with that victories oh yeah i won this case or that case don't really stick with you because Mm. you kind of they're not really useful and um the first time i gave a sermon at at our church which is united methodist church of whitefish bay was um not too long ago the first time i just did a regular sermon at the service doing the, the pastor thing um so i got probably conservatively 50 versions of oh my god that was incredible that was so great you are so good you know just the various laudation and it's wonderful it's great and it's validating but the one that stuck out there was like one critical comment that somebody made and it had to do with some messaging in the sermon that i never thought about well it could have been interpreted this way and that might Mm -hmm. be a little different yeah right um yeah i won't go into all the specifics of, of what it was but 
that one made such a huge difference. That was that was yeah. the useful one. That yeah. was yeah. the one. Funny? It's like, like so good. It's like tell me actually what I can. Yeah, do. and I'm like oh actually. now I know if I yeah. did that sermon again. Oh yeah, or yeah. I did this topic. Now I would know how to approach oh, that totally. differently. Yeah. yeah, that happens to me as a speaker all the time, especially oh, if that. I try something new. I'm like like I have friend like oh that's so great like great job. I'm like I'm like I really want you to tell me like what did you take away? What was specific? I have gotten I've changed so many things based on like one piece of feedback. It's yeah. so valuable and people that care are typically the ones that are going to give it. Like, I'm like, I want you to be transparent. How did that go? And if it didn't go well, like, let me, let me figure this out. And I've grown mm-hmm. so much as a speaker because of those. Jim, I'm and just going to be, perfect. I'm just going to be negative with you from now on. From now on. Yes. Just so you can be your best you. You know how I feel about negativity. I love it. Just, yeah. just bring it. Yeah. Well, I, I hate that you love it. How about that? If you could change that, that'd be good. Oh. Very, very that? meta. The yeah. kind of, yeah. I'm going to be negative <laughs> about your negativity or positivity. Yeah. 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 See, I'm just, well, I just, this is, yeah. this is getting too complicated. I say it because I want the best This is what I deal with. There are too many double and triple negatives in this. We're going to lose track kind of what's <laughs> the negative yes, I'm going to be so negative it ends up being positive yeah. for you. What a wild <laughs> sure. event. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> well, th- thank you. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Really thank you so much it. for having yeah, me. Of course. Yeah. And yeah. If people want to get in touch with you, particularly about ministry mm-hmm. or, you know, what, what's, what's, what's the best place to, to do that? Um, I mean, I've, I've got an office here in Milwaukee awesome. and, you know, it's Brady at Cream City dot law oh, dot that that's, that's one of the the easiest um or it's it's easy to get a hold of me you know come by our church awesome. whitefish bay at least for awesome. a while i'm there i'm i'm actually coming in as chair of what we call the accountable leadership board mm-hmm. this next year that may have to change um some point later in the year because i am transitioning f- eventually from lay minister to vocational ministry awesome. still part of time but it's yeah. as you yeah. kind of progress in uh, the side hustle, so mm-hmm. to speak, you know, you, you progress into something where you can't be both staff clergy and yeah. kind yeah. of the lay yeah. board type, you know, at some point you have to sort of go from one to the other. I feel yeah. that. Um, and, and we'll see that may be where I go, but, um, and it's possible that at some point soon I may not be able to really stay at Whitefish Bay. You know, the Methodist mm-hmm. church is a church where you, people kind of get assigned and they say, mm-hmm. man, this church really needs somebody over here. And in Wisconsin, um, there's a shortage yeah. of yeah. clergy. No doubt. No People doubt. aren't going into it as much. People aren't staying into it, um, unfortunately. And you know, churches everywhere are just going through an incredibly rough time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's sad because it's at a time when, frankly, people probably need more guidance or just safe more. space to deal yeah, with sort exactly. of meaning and purpose. Yeah. And people, I think, have... Uh, I'm trying to think how to put it. You know, if there's ever a time... Now it's post-pandemic when we can find ourselves suddenly leading lives that are so isolated, Mm -hmm. that are so just kind of hollow. And then we get back and say, okay, what do I do about that? Yeah, reconnecting Um, to normalcy. It's important. (laughs) Exactly. And and sometimes changing the normal. Yeah. You know, and that's that's a lot of it too. And one of the things that was happening before the pandemic to both law and to faith was – and I hope is still, you know, so much more of an awareness of all kinds of systemic issues of racism, of equity or lack of equity, where people were really reconsidering some stuff that hadn't been talked about a lot in mm-hmm. decades. So I'm hoping that survives the pandemic too. Right. Yeah. In, in both yeah. of my you yeah, know, yeah. Kind yeah. Of just have a, a better yeah. world going forward. Yeah. Right. Um, but whatever, wherever you do end up is they're definitely going to be very fortunate to have you. Yeah. Sure. Thank you. No so thank no you for being on. Mm-hmm. Thank you for, you know, um, sharing your story with us mm-hmm. is super inspiring for sure um and i, I think eye-opening to some people that maybe mm-hmm. you know like we said thought of 
ministry as one way and, and law as one way. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. I'm glad that both. we're you know, here to have you on for that sort of thing. Um, well, thank if you. you are listening mm-hmm. for the first time, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, yes, thank all of you for, you know, if you're listening, watching for the first time, thank you. Uh, you can follow this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we are also available on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok and YouTube as uh, as Hustling Sideways. That's We're us. all over the place. Uh, if you've got a side hustle of your own, you can send us an email. It's hustlingsideways at gmail.com. And you too could be on this show and we could be talking to you about your side hustle, your passion project, the things that you do. And, uh, you know, how that helps, you know, live a more fulfilling life because of it. Yes. So So. come join us. Give us five stars. Oh, yeah. yeah. Rating you're able to rate us wherever you can rate us five stars. It (laughs) does help us out. Apparently. Apparently. So I I don't know. That's what they uh, everybody says. Well, on that note, it does help us out. Keep on hustling. We'll see you next week.